morning. Take your Bibles, please, and open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I've got two weeks left and two sermons left out of the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, I'm excited to finish up this incredible and difficult uh, book uh, together with you. 1 Corinthians 16, and in just a moment, we're going to read verses 1 through 18 together. 1 Corinthians 16. I'll start in verse 1, and we'll read all the way down through verse 18 this morning. Now, concerning the collection for the saints. Now, as we start chapter 16, it seems to us like Paul is just out of nowhere, out of the blue, introducing a new concept. But you remember that the Corinthians had already written to him and asked him questions about a bunch of things. And he's writing a letter back to them and he's answering their questions. And so when he says now about the offering, it's because they've already asked him about it. Concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, on Sunday, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive... I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. If you were looking at your Bible maps there in the back right now where Paul's writing the book of 1 Corinthians, he's in the city of Ephesus, Corinth is over there, um, kind of across the Mediterranean Sea from him. And his plan was to kind of go up north and then cross over through the west through Macedonia and then drop back down through the south back into Corinth. I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now. What if that was the end of the sentence? For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why would he stay in Ephesus till Pentecost? Verse 9. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So I've got a neat ministry opportunity here, but it's going to be hard. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that, and that they had devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the, co at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit 
as well as yours. Give, give recognition to such men. Father, I pray now, this morning, as we look into your word that we've just read, and we might, we might look at it and think, what, what really does this have to do for us right now, here today? What significance does this passage really have in the life of Liberty Baptist? What, what significance does a passage like this have even in the, the, the historical moment that Liberty Baptist is in during this time of change and transition? God, I pray that you would show us just how wonderfully this passage fits us right here and right now. Use your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We use the phrase, a man on a mission, right? We, we, we understand what that phrase means. We refer to somebody as a man or a, a woman on, the, on a mission. When, when we're describing someone who they have a, a difficult task in front of them, but they have the hope of an incredible reward ahead of them. And we'll say, boy, he is a man on a mission or she is, she is a woman on a mission. A lot, of the, a lot of the movies that we watch include someone who's on some kind of a mission. There's this, there's this great trilogy of movies called The Hobbit. They should write a book one of these days. It's a, it's a great movie series. No, I'm kidding. All right, you've read, some of you have read the book The Hobbit. Highly recommend that book. And it's the story of this incredibly unlikely little man. I guess a hobbit is a man. I don't know. He's a hobbit, so I guess he's not a man. Bilbo Baggins is a man on a mission. And if you know the story, he's approached with the opportunity to go and seek treasure the, this hoarded dragon treasure, but he's told that the journey won't be easy. There's going to be a lot of ways in which you're going to have to sacrifice, but Bilbo makes the decision that because there is something worth his attention, because there is something worth going on mission for, he is willing to lay aside all of his creature comforts, which hobbits are particularly fond of. He is willing to leave, leave behind his friends and family, his creature comforts, all of his possessions, all of his plans. He's willing to leave possessions and plans and people because there was a mission that got a hold of his heart and got a hold of his mind and then began, it consumed his life. Brothers and sisters, as we're coming to the conclusion of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been laying out for the Corinthian believers that there is a mission of God for God's people. And often... The pursuit of the mission of God includes the sacrifice of other things. But he makes it clear in this passage that sacrifice is joyful when the mission of God is central. And that's the main point of our sermon this morning. That's the main point of this passage this morning. That sacrifice is joyful. I'm not saying it's easy, but sacrifice is joyful. Sacrifice is joyful when the mission of God is is central. We'll see that very clearly as we walk through this passage together here this morning. First of all, we see in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 16 that Paul is 
bringing up this topic, this idea of a collection of, for the saints, an, an offering that the people at Corinth had asked about because the people of Jerusalem, there were saints, there were Christians in Jerusalem who were struggling and many of the needs that they had there in Jerusalem were needs that could be met with a financial offering. And so Paul tells them, listen, I'm gonna give you the same instructions that I gave to the people at Galatia. They were gonna give their money. This is hard. This is hard for us, right? Our, our money our money is hard for us to give, right? Uh, it's been said that you can tell a lot about a person by just looking at their checkbook ledger. I don't know if anybody actually like, keeps a checkbook ledger anymore, right? We have apps that do all of that for us. But if I went to your, if I went to your Happy State Bank app on your phone and scrolled through the last month or so, I would get a picture. I'd get a snapshot of what's important to you, right? United is probably going to be on there somewhere, right? Lots of trips to United, some restaurants, that sort of thing. It's hard sometimes for us to take our hard-earned money and give it away. So for the sake of illustration this morning, I've got the, this offering plate up here. The offering plate uh, just re- represents the things that we're going to give and sacrifice to God, okay? Things that are ours, but, but God is calling both the Corinthians and us to be willing to give. And so I've got, I've got my checkbook here this morning. God, God is calling upon the people of the city of Corinth with their minds focused on a mission to say, listen, I, I want you to be willing to sacrifice something. I want you to be willing to take your hard-earned money and sacrifice it for, for a greater mission. Now, if you're a kid in here, right, and you know that your parents have those plastic cards that they use to pay for everything, those are even better than money, right? You can just keep using that card over and over and over and over. I don't think it ever runs out. Um, it's, it's amazing how those credit cards work. Giving our possessions, being... Being, having our minds consumed with the mission of God and then being willing to sacrifice for the sake of that mission, it's one of the hardest things that we can give up. I, I know of a couple who, who knew they'd been praying, that they, they some missionary friends of theirs that they wanted to support financially, and they knew that they were getting ready to, have a, to get a raise. And they prayed and talked with each other about this ahead of time, and they decided that whatever the amount of their raise was for that year, they were going to give that to the missionary. They were just going to continue their same standard of living that next year and give that amount of money to the missionaries the next year. And they, 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 they got the, the, you know, the, the statement with their, that, and the raise on it, and it was by far the biggest raise they'd ever gotten. And they, they had already committed to the Lord with each other, you know, that they were going to get, and they, they weren't sure if they were happy or sad. <laughs> yeah, about, you know, they're like, oh my goodness, yay, right? Can we pull an Ananias and Sapphira? No, we don't want to do that, right? Let, um, w- when, it comes to, when it comes to giving our money, it can be a hard thing to do. And, and Paul actually lays out some principles that are really helpful for us when it comes to even our giving to our local church. He says in verse two, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper. He, he, he says, make, make sure that you're giving, just make it habitual. 
make it habitual on the first day of the week. Go ahead and set aside. Some scholars and commentators think that it was the, it was the cultural habit at the time for people to be paid on the first day of the week. And so you receive your paycheck and just right there on the first day of the week, you just immediately, habitually, you set aside some money that's going to be part of this collection, part of this offering. Paul makes it clear that this is a, an individual thing. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up. But it's as, as he may prosper, right? Paul doesn't give a dollar amount. Paul doesn't give a percentage even. Paul just says, listen, as God prospers you, you individually lay aside money that will, um, that will be used for this offering, which, which of course means that some are going to give more than others. And Paul also makes it clear that the money that you're going to give is money that it is going to be, uh, there's accounting that's going to be made for your money. When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. What Paul is saying is this, look, when I get there and we'll get that collection together and then those whom you tell me, like, these are the trustworthy messengers that we want to send this money with to the city of Jerusalem, I'll, I'll send them on their way. And if it's better for me to go with them, I'll even be willing to go with them in order to deliver, to, to deliver that offering. Paul, Paul doesn't just say, hey, stock up some money and you know, stick, it, uh, stick it in a drawer. And when I get there, um, I'll, I'll take it back to Jerusalem. Paul's giving them some very helpful, very clear instructions on giving that I think we can profit from even today. When it comes to our money, I want to I encourage you guys with something super practical. This is something that uh, we've, Angie and I have tried to teach our kids from, from the very beginning. We did, not, we did not come up with this. This was taught to us by others who taught it to us as well. When, when, when you think in terms of your money, your possessions as I'm calling it, number one is share your possessions. When it comes to your money, I want to encourage you to think in three categories and in this order. Give, save, Spend. Give, save, spend. Now, you're going to probably do the most, you're going to spend the majority of it, but if you start spending first, there will rarely be any money left over for saving and spending. I want to encourage you to have the mindset that all of my money is God's. I'm going to commit to giving back to God's work first and foremost. Secondly, I want to save for long term. And then thirdly, um, I'll use the money to meet the needs that I have um, here in my life. So give, save, spend. Giving like this, though, brothers and sisters, giving like this can only find its motivation in the gospel. For us to actually really care enough about people we've never met in another place on the planet who have needs, like what, really, why should I even care about that? But Paul, Paul, in another letter to the Corinthians, actually gives them even more unpacking on this idea. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. When it comes to our understanding of giving and why we should give and how we should give, I think 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is one of the most powerful passage, passages on this topic. 2 Corinthians 8, and I'm just going to read through verses 1 through 9, and he's talking about an offering here as well. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They, for they gave according to their means and as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord. Here's what he's saying. Okay, remember, this is, a, this is a separate letter that Paul is writing, but he's writing it to the same people at Corinth. And he's saying, as I went through the churches of Macedonia, they were poor, but they gave so generously. 
begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, right? So these poor people in Macedonia are begging Paul, please let us take part in the financial relief and the financial good of our brothers and sisters there in Jerusalem. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So Paul's saying, be sure that you excel in your act of generous giving. I say this not as a command, but to prove my earnestness of others that your love, that your love also is genuine. Verse nine, verse nine is important. Here's where Paul says, your giving has to be informed by how God has given to you. Verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Paul, Paul is making it abundantly clear I want you, Corinthians, I want you to understand that Jesus Christ, the most infinitely rich one in the universe, made himself poor, right? He left the throne room of heaven. He came to earth. He became as a human being. He didn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus became poor so that he might bring us with him back to God and back to heaven so that we might, by his poverty, might become incredibly rich. So giving sacrificially, brothers and sisters, listen, giving sacrificially is just part of being a Christian. It's, it's just part of being a Christian. For, for you to understand, my money is not my money. My house is not my house. My vehicles are not my vehicles. My land is not my land. You don't own stuff. You have the illusion that you do. You have the illusion that that land is yours and those tractors are yours and those farms are yours and those cattle are yours and those, but, but God owns everything. You're a steward of those things. You're gonna die and it's gonna be somebody else's stuff. Being generous with God's stuff while you're here on earth is part of being a Christian. Now, we see here that not only is Paul saying, hey, as the mission of God advances, make sure that you're ready to give your finances, that you give your possessions to that. But verse five, he starts kind of another topic of things that are, um, as we read through it, it becomes clear he's expecting that people uh, submit this to God as well. So first of all, we have share your possessions for the mission of God. Number two, we see that Paul understands that we must submit our plans. We must submit our plans for the mission of God. Now, I said that it's really hard to give your money to God, but there's something that is even harder to give than our money, and that's our time. So here I have a calendar, right, on the calendar. And on this, this calendar, there are very few of us who use a calendar like this. Most of us use our phones for a calendar like this, but a calendar represents how you expect that you're going to use your life and spend your time. And you have your calendar laid out in weeks and in months 
and in years, and you know what you're going to do. You have plans, you have dreams, you have ambitions, and all of those things are good. And yet Paul makes it abundantly clear, and God makes it clear in this passage that our plans must be submitted and at times sacrificed for the mission of God. You might think, Jeremy, like, where, where are you getting that? How are you getting that? Look again with me in verses, especially verses five through seven, how Paul talks about his plans. Imagine how Paul would represent this on his calendar, on his scroll calendar. Verse five, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia for I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps... I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you just, uh, uh, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you. So in verse five, he says, I intend. In verse six, perhaps I will stay. In verse seven, I hope to spend. Paul is making it very clear. I have these plans. I have these intentions. I hope that this might work. There's a, there's a little phrase that Christians use when they're discussing their plans. And in, in fact, there are times where you may be interacting with someone and you don't know whether or not they're a Christian. And the use of this little phrase actually sometimes clues you into the fact that, I, I bet that they're a Christian. We'll be talking about something, our plans for tomorrow, and we'll use two words, one little phrase. What's that little phrase? Lord willing or God willing right? You ever been talking to somebody and you weren't sure they were a Christian? And they'll say, well, now, Lord willing, I'm going to do such and such. And you think, ah, that's a little bit of an indicator to me. I wonder if this person is a Christian. Where do we get that? Where do we get that idea of using that phrase, Lord willing? Well, in James chapter three, it's incredible. Like that's where this phrase comes from. It says this, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's where we get that phrase. James chapter three is where we get that little phrase, Lord willing. And then we add, if the, and the creek don't rise. And around here, the creek don't rise. So it just we just sorted it to Lord willing, right? Lord willing. Paul is making clear plans here. Look at the end of verse seven. If the Lord permits, that's Paul's use of the phrase, Lord willing. Now, Paul is someone who has given his life completely over to the work of the Lord, and he's making plans that, that are made for the advance of Christ's mission on the earth. And yet he's talking about his plans for the advance of the gospel in terms that are very, very, uh, it almost sounds indecisive to us. Paul, what are your plans? Well, I intend to do this and perhaps I'll do this and I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows, if the Lord permits. And my understanding from studying this passage is that these plans that Paul lays out here in verses five through seven, they didn't, come, they didn't play out that way. It's actually not the way it worked. 
His plans to do this sort of thing, his travel plans ended up being changed from what Paul was writing to the Corinthians in this letter. Paul says in verse eight, or sorry, verse nine, I have these plans. I hope to do this. I perhaps I'll do this. If the Lord permits, I'll do this. But he does describe something about his plans in the moment that is helpful for us. He says this, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? For a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. He uses the phrase, a wide open door. And when we're talking about God's plans in our lives, sometimes we'll say things like, well, the Lord opened a door for me to go and do this. Or I'm praying that God will open a door for me to go and do this. Or the Lord closed that door and opened another door. That's good, solid biblical language. But brothers and sisters, remember this. God's plans will never go against God's will. God's plans for your life will never go against God's will for your life. God's plans for your life will never go against God's clear directives for your life. God's plans will never lead you to a place where you're being disobedient to God's revealed will. Never. If you wonder if God wants you to do a thing but that thing isn't advancing the will and the kingdom of God, you can be assured that it is not him who is calling you. Friend, is God going to redirect your plans because he has a wide door for effective work he has opened to you? Do you live with a Lord-willing attitude in your life? Do you incorporate into your life the things that you already know are his will or are you consistently disobeying the things that you already know are God's will for your life? God will direct our plans based on these sorts of things. Do do you see the mission of God as so worthy that the sacrifice of your plans is joyful because the mission is central I think it's hard for us to give our possessions. I think it's a lot harder, a lot harder to give our time, to give our plans, to give our scheme of how we thought things were going to work out for us. In fact, as hard as it is to give money, sometimes that's the easiest thing, right? Someone has a need and what they really need is your time and attention but it's a little easier to write them a check and send them on their way. Brothers and sisters, God God is telling the Corinthian church and by extension us, your money, your possessions are to be given in joyful sacrifice for the mission of God and your your, uh, plans are to be given in joyful sacrifice to the mission of God. And, And note that God's will for wonderful ministry includes difficulty and hardship. Look at the end of verse eight. I'm sorry, verse nine. Right, start at the beginning of verse nine. Paul says, look, I'm gonna stay here at Ephesus right now. This is God's plan for me because there is a wide door for effective ministry in front of me. And there are many adversaries. Have you ever stepped forward into something that you believed to be God's will for your life, God's plan for your life? 
and it became so hard, so difficult, and so challenging that you thought, maybe I was wrong. Maybe, maybe this isn't where I'm supposed to be. Maybe, maybe I've made a mistake. Maybe God's made a mistake. Maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Brothers and sisters, as we read through the story of Paul's life, he is shipwrecked. He is in and out of prisons. He is beaten to death at one point or to what was almost death. Paul's life is not an easy life. Paul's life here in Ephesus is not an easy life. His, his life in Corinth wasn't an easy life. Paul ends up being crucified. Like Paul himself ends up being a martyr for the faith. But he was right exactly where God wanted him to be. Just because you're encountering hardship and opposition does not mean that God has misled you or that you aren't exactly where God wants you to be. Think about our Savior. Jesus perfectly followed God's plan for his life, and where did it lead him? It led him to a cross. A wide door for effective ministry. If there was ever a wide door for effective ministry, the cross of Jesus Christ was that wide door for effective ministry. No greater ministry has ever been done, right? What Jesus did on the cross was the most effective ministry done in the history of humanity, and yet it was incredibly difficult. It was, it was an unbelievable hardship. But, but remember, sacrifice, sacrifice is joyful, not easy, but joyful when the mission of God is central. So God is calling the Corinthians to, to sacrifice their money and to submit their plans. And both of those are difficult. But I actually think we see even one more way that God is calling on the people at, at Corinth and at Ephesus and at Jerusalem. I think God is, God is giving us a, a demonstration of one more way that they're called to sacrifice, and it might be the hardest way of all. Look in verse 12. Well, back in verse 10. When Timothy comes... See that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Paul is, is sending Timothy from Ephesus to Corinth. Look in verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you, with the brothers, but it was not at all his will. And there's some discrepancy as to whether or not that, that means like Apollos is just like, no, I don't want to go right now. Or if Apollos is saying, it's not God's will for me to go right now. Either way, Apollos isn't going right now. But he'll come when he has opportunity. So that means that God is going to be moving Apollos from Ephesus to Corinth. And if you look on your maps, like the traveling, buzzing around the ancient Middle Eastern world was not an easy thing. Traveling was dangerous, traveling was expensive, traveling took a long time. Look down in verse 17. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. So there are people at Corinth who have come to Ephesus in order to be a minister and a ministry to Paul. Right here in this passage, brothers and sisters, we see people moving around from one city to another, from one ministry to another, for the sake of God's kingdom, 
and for the advance of Christ's mission. I can't help but see that because of the context that Liberty Baptist is in right now and because of the current circumstances of my life. I think the third thing that Paul is calling upon the people there at Corinth to do, what God is making clear that we at times have to sacrifice for the sake of the mission is yes, yes, we sacrifice our, our, our possessions and yes, we submit our calendars, but there are times where we send our people. I know there's, I'm just acknowledging the elephant in the room, okay? I'm the elephant in the room this morning. I, uh, and to represent our people, I have a church directory, okay? And so here's, here's you. You're probably on, this, on, one of these, on one of these pages here. There, there are times where in the, the wisdom and providence and mission of God, God does move people around. And there were people at Ephesus who would have been sad to see Timothy being moved. And it appears that maybe Timothy ends up back at Ephesus because in Paul's letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy, uh, Timothy is pastoring there in Ephesus. So Timothy goes to Corinth, goes back to Ephesus. Apollos is moving around. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus are moving around. Obviously, Paul is moving around a lot. Money is hard to give. Plans are hard to submit. But people... People might be the hardest. Money and opportunities are valueless without people. Notice all the names that Paul is mentioning here. I'm going to go and I'm going to come, Paul says, after I go to Macedonia and Timothy is going to come and the brothers are going to come and Apollos is going to come but not yet and all these names are mentioned. People are moving all over the place. And like I said, it's hard to part with possessions and it's hard to part with plans. But for many, the hardest to part with is people. And yet God in his wisdom is opening and closing wide doors of opportunity. Look at that phrase again in verse 9. A wide door of effective work has opened to me. Paul is saying, I'm staying here right now. I'm going to leave, but I'm staying here right now because right now there's a wide door of effective ministry that's open to me. And I'm going to stay here as God permits until God moves me somewhere else. And And Paul is sending very capable, very prominent people. He's sending leaders. God is sending leaders from place to place, and he's always been doing that. And and, and again, in verse 12, Paul wanted Apollos to go, but it wasn't the Lord's will yet. That's that's, that's other language that we use sometimes where we'll say, well, I'm I'm just not sure. I'm not sure that it's God's will, or I don't think that's an open door, or is that a closed door to me? And now, again, I think sometimes we can use that language as an excuse. Oh, that's not really an open door, or that is an open door. Well, hold on a second. Is it advancing the will of God and the mission of God? If it's not, then that's not an open door for you. Liberty Baptist has been a church that receives people and sends people for a long time. I appreciate what Will pointed out to me the other day, and I can't remember if maybe Matt or Will has, has pointed this out to the congregation. Pastor Johnny Widener was here two pastors ago. Pastor Johnny was here. Johnny left liberty to go to Africa to serve on the mission field for 10 years. God brought Johnny back to Dumas where he is faithfully serving well at uh, Bible Baptist Church there in Dumas now. 
The pastor who preceded me, Dan Martin, when God uh, launched him from Liberty and he became, began working at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and now God is using Dan to li- have literally a global impact on evangelism training. God, God moved Johnny, God moved Dan. Brian Pate, who many in here know, not all of you know Brian. Brian was a youth pastor here for a number of years. He and I overlapped here at Liberty for four years. God is using Brian in the country of Brazil now to equip pastors. To his, he has a wide door of effective ministry opened for him. Dan has a wide door of effective ministry opened for him. Johnny has a wide door of effective ministry opened for him. God has done it with, with many others throughout the years, many, many deacons. You think of many of the people who were part of this church and were actively, member, uh, actively ministering as part of this church, and you think, man, like I'd, I'd be okay if God would take AJ and move him somewhere else, but no, instead God took so, you know, this family and moved them somewhere else. What's the deal? Deacons, music leaders, etc., Sometimes they leave and they even encounter difficulty in their new ministries. And that doesn't mean that they're not at the place where God has them with a wide door of effective ministry. Again, remember, the verse 9 ends not with, I have a wide door of effective ministry and it's really easy and nice and comfortable here. I have a wide door of effective ministry and there are many adversaries. I believe God has opened a wide door for effective ministry for me and my family. And I realize there may be many adversaries, but I do believe that this is God's will for this next step for us to take. I don't think I'm reading into the text here and just trying to make an argument for what I think. I do believe that this is what God is doing. But one more thing, lest point three somehow become all about me, because point three is not all about me. Point three is about We as Christians, seeing the mission of God and being willing to share our possessions, submit our plans, and what was my last one? Send, send your people. God might have some of you or your children Go with the mission of God into the world. Are you willing for that? Are are you willing for that? Are you willing to hear the call of God on your life and you realize God is calling me to take his word and his mission into a place that doesn't have it? Are you willing as a parent to pray in a way that your children are not yours and they don't have to live in the house next to you someday and they don't have to farm your farm or do your work or buy the family business. But if God is calling them that you with eagerness, with tears in your eyes and joy in your heart would say, go, go, take the mission of God out into the world. I don't have a whole lot of possessions. I don't really have a whole lot of plans, but I've got four people that are super important to me. And it would be hard But I hope that I would be the loudest voice behind them and their greatest cheerleader saying, go, go with the mission of God. There is nothing that's going to matter in light of eternity anymore. 
than taking this and going. And I love, I remember the, the um, Matt said it years ago, uh, you know, that he, he looks forward to the day where the walk down the hallway here where our missionaries are posted there, um, that, that those names and faces are of people from Liberty Baptist Church. There's a bunch of old codgers in here, but there's a bunch of young ones in here now too. There's a bunch of little ones with heads leaning against parents and grandparents right now. What if, what if some of those were the names and faces on the hallway here in the future? Man, that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. Is God preparing you or preparing your children? It might be sacrifice, but sacrifice is joyful when the mission of God is central. Now, I've ignored, half, Jay, can you go back to my main mission, the, the main point? I've ignored half of what the main point is this morning. I keep talking about the sacrifice is joyful part. Sacrifice is joyful. Sacrifice is joyful. Sacrifice is joyful when? When the mission of God is central. Brothers and sisters, if the mission of God is not central to you as an individual, and if this mission of God is not central to this church as a whole, then joyful sacrifice will not be on our radars. I will not sacrifice if if the mission of me is central to me. I will not freely and generously sacrifice these things if the mission of God is not central to me. In fact, if the mission of me is central, then none of this makes sense. Then no way, Jose. No way, God. If the mission of me is central, thank you very much. I'm hanging on to this. You're definitely not getting a hold of this. And you as sure as shooting ain't getting a hold of this. Right? These, these are mine if the mission of me is what I'm all about. But if I can get by the Spirit of God, a clear vision of what God is doing in the world, then I joyfully say, well, you can can do way better with all of this than I can anyway, and I'm going to trust you with all of these things. I'm not looking for how can I I, um, give the least amount of money to the work of God, and how can I contribute the least of my calendar to the work of God, and, and how can I give the the, the, the least amount of my people to the work of God. I'm looking, how can I give more this year? How can I work your mission onto the, every page of this calendar? And how can I, how can I um, not just allow, but look for ways to push the brightest and the best and the godliest of our, in our midst out into your work and out into your kingdom? The mission of God, brothers and sisters, is the glory of God. It's not even evangelism. I think sometimes when we think about the mission of God, we think primarily we need more dots on the map over there uh, of people taking the, the, the word of God into the world. And that is wonderful. But did you know that evangelism is simply a means to the end? It's just a means to the end. This is where I should probably stop and let Will get up and talk about because he always he plays the same note over and over and over and over again, which is wonderful. This is all about the glory of God. It's all about the glory of God. Paul's already made this clear back in chapter 10. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so that's the mission of God. And so when I see that God is all powerful, all wonderful, all glorious, when I see that God is everything, 
and I get a hold of what he's doing in the world. And I realize that I can be, I can be part of that. I can join in with that. I can, I can take uh, my possessions and share them. I can take my plans and submit them. I can take my, um, my people and send them to advance the mission of God. Well, now my sacrifice becomes joyful. Now my sacrifice is joyful. We, the, the glory of God is the mission of God. And it's a, it is accomplished by the advance of the gospel. The Corinthian church, brothers and sisters, they were sharing their possessions because of the work of the gospel. They were submitting their plans for the work of the gospel. They were sending their people to do the work of the gospel all so that God could be glorified. And we can do the same. We can do the same. We can share our possessions and submit our plans and send our people for the work of the gospel. God, God has done this for us. We, we talk about sharing our possessions. We, we, we already mentioned it this morning that Jesus left heaven, right? He who was rich became poor so that we might become rich. Jesus shared his possessions. We talk about sacrificing our plans. Jesus sacrificed his plans. Not my will, but yours be done, Jesus said to the Father. And Jesus sacrificed his person. He laid down his life to bring life, eternal life to his people. So friends, sacrifice is joyful when the mission of God is central. So is the mission of God central to you? The mission of God was central to Jesus. The mission of God was central to the apostle Paul. He was calling upon the Corinthian church to make the mission of God central to them. And God is calling upon us this morning to make the mission of God central to us. And when the mission of God is central, sacrifice will be joyful. Our possessions and our plans and our people will all be joyfully sacrificed to him when his mission is central. I invite you to bow your heads now and close your eyes with me. I'll invite the music team to come and prepare to close us with a song. There may be some in here this morning and, and you're not concerned with the mission of God because you're not a child of God. You've not repented of your sins and put faith in the Jesus who came to make you his. If you wanna talk with me or one of the other pastors or someone in this room about that afterwards, we will stick around for quite a while and we'd be happy to visit with you about that. For many in this room this morning, our hesitation, our hesitancy to sacrifice the tr our treasures is not primarily because the treasure is so intrinsically valuable, but because the mission of God is not. You might need just a moment there at your seat this morning to pray and ask God to help you make the mission of God central in your life. I'm gonna ask Vicki to play through just one verse and I'm gonna give you a moment to pray there in your seat. And after you've had a moment to pray, we'll all stand and sing together.